Wonderful. Well, thank you, Simon. It is a pleasure to be here. If you were distracted at all in that by Simon's mustache, I want you to know that we have helped him this morning realize it is May and not Movember. But we also celebrated his lack of fear of man this morning. Um, He's displayed, he has grown in humility. It is being cultivated on a daily basis for Simon. So we're thrilled about that. It is a pleasure to start a new series today. It is sad that we can't do it in person altogether. Deeply sad. But I am grateful that God's word is powerful. And God's word is not constrained when one person is one side of a camera and the congregation are on the other. The word of God goes forward. The word of God always goes forward. And what a thrill that is. So let's turn in our Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 1. We are going to be in this series for around... Six months, one would think, so I would imagine this will take us through to Christmas with other things filled in here and there. And oh my, what a wonderful book Colossians is. When you study Paul's epistles, you see that each one of them has a dominant theme. And so the letter to the Philippians, for example, it's all about the secret of true contentment. The secret of what true joy is and contentment that can only be found in Christ. In his letter to the Ephesians, it's all about the glorious gospel of the church. How Christ in grace has saved us and then knitted us together into families. And how we're to work that forward in the context of church for the glory of the Lord. His letter to the Romans is all about how we've been saved by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. That our salvation is all of grace from start to finish. And this letter to the Colossians is all about one thing. It's primarily about the supremacy of Christ. The supremacy of Jesus in all things, in our lives, in the church, in the entire created order of the world. It is an incredible book. And it's all about the supremacy of Christ. John Kitchen, in his wonderful commentary, says Colossians provides us with an unparalleled portrait of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For in Colossians, we are brought to fresh and breathtaking vistas of Him who is our life. Kent Hughes then continues. He says, there is no book in the New Testament, including John's Gospel, that presents such a comprehensive picture of the fullness of Christ. And accordingly, there is no writing better equipped to draw us upward than the book of Colossians. Oh, how true that is. There is no better book in the Bible than Colossians to draw our gaze upward. We will find that Paul, in grace, takes us to seeing fresh and breathtaking vistas of Christ. And so I'm excited. I'm excited as we start this series that we will be taken by the grace of God to breathtaking and new vistas to see the supremacy of Christ, the supremacy of Jesus, the supremacy of our Savior and our King. And so we're going to read this morning the opening eight verses of this letter. This is the Word of God. This is Colossians 1 from verse 1 to the end of verse 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, 
to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints and because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed it, in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word. And Lord, I do pray that if we start out on this fresh book together, Lord, would you show us Christ? Lord, would we marvel at you afresh? Would we see your supremacy and preeminence in all things, in the world, in the church, in our lives? Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes? And would that begin this morning? Would you open our eyes this morning to be able to hold and see the goodness that really is the celebration of grace? In Jesus' name, amen. You know, just a few months ago, we had a wonderful celebration in our home. It was my wife Emma's 40th birthday. And so we imagined that this year was going to actually be a year of celebration because we have a number of birthdays, significant birthdays in our house, a number of anniversary celebrations. It looks like Emma's birthday might be the only one that is really being celebrated at this point. But we celebrated it and we had a wonderful day. And as part of the day, we created as a family a photo wall for Emma. And it was a photo wall that really was a trip down memory lane. It went all the way from her birth, through to her childhood, through to her guides, girl guides days, through to her teen years, through to meeting me, and then us getting married, and then having Josh, and Amy, and Lydia, and then moving to Australia, and having Liam, and Savannah, and it really took her on a 40-year journey, which is a wonderful trip down memory lane, and I, I, I'll never forget just showing that to Emma as she saw it, and it was like, oh my goodness, and, and then all of a sudden she's like, but it is quite nice, and it was a wonderful history of her life. A trip down memory lane. And in so many ways, in the opening eight verses of the book of Colossians, that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing here for them. This isn't just a greeting or an introduction. This is a wonderful trip down memory lane. And it is a trip down memory lane that shows them one wonderful thing. Because what we have here is a reminder... And celebration of grace. A reminder and celebration of grace in their lives, in their local church, and in them as individuals. And therefore a reminder and celebration of grace for us as well. <laughs> Our faces are in this story. He may be writing it to a church in Colossae, but he could also be writing to a church in Sydney. Saying the same things. What we have here in these eight verses is way more than an introduction. It is a wonderful trip down memory lane that shows us a wonderful reminder and celebration of grace and what a celebration it is.
See, this town of Colossae was located about 80 miles inland from the major city of Ephesus. This town is in the Lycus River Valley, and it is what it is a part of the world which is today known as modern-day Western Turkey. At one time, Colossae was a major place. It had been a prominent town in the valley. And at one time, the major thoroughfare that went, actually went through it, and so it grew around that. But as time had gone on, by the time Paul is writing this letter, by the time the New Testament comes around, it really isn't a big place at all. It's a very insignificant town, to be honest, in the Lycus Valley. It's well in the shadow of its nearby neighbor towns and cities. And yet around five years before this letter was written, a young man by the name of Epaphras, who we read about in verse 7, began to proclaim the gospel in Colossae, and as a result, this church was born. See, Epaphras himself had heard the gospel from Paul. We read about that in Acts chapter 19, verse 10. Paul was preaching in Ephesus, and we read, At that time, all the residents of Asia, which would have included Colossae, heard the word of the Lord. And one such man, very evidently, was Epaphras. Epaphras heard the gospel. His life was transformed and changed. He began to follow Paul around. And Paul began to train him for pastoral ministry. And Epaphras had then gone out to Colossae, began to preach the gospel. People started getting saved and a church was indeed born. The last five years that church has been thriving. But now... They are facing some very significant issues there. Very significant challenges. And so Epaphras comes back to Paul, his father in the faith, and asks for his help. And these are desperate times. Because Epaphras' father in the faith is in prison. And so Epaphras runs to him anyway, saying, I need your help. You see, we know Paul is in prison because it states it clearly in Colossians chapter 4. We also read in verse 1 that Timothy is with him. It's unlikely that Timothy was actually in prison because he had done something wrong. Timothy was in prison simply as, as Paul's friend and companion and fellow worker. He was there to encourage him and help him on his way. And this imprisonment was likely to have been in Rome. So this letter would have been written between AD 60 and 62. The challenges that are being faced in Colossae are indeed significant ones. It would seem that this church was in great risk of entertaining ideas that would put them in grave and dangerous danger of coming away from the truth of the word of God. See, it would seem as you read through the letter that false teachers have come into this church. False teachers who are propagating to be Gnostics. People who proclaimed and believed they had superior knowledge on all things worldly and spiritual. And so they had been sent by somebody somehow to teach lesser Christians the real way of what it is all about. This church was at great risk of believing that Christ was not the creator. The incarnation was not real. And therefore Christ was simply not enough. And so Epaphras runs to Paul looking for his help. What do I say to them, Paul? And this letter is Paul's brilliant response to this church. Showing them that Christ 
is indeed supreme in all of life. What you are being told by those false teachers is wrong. Christ is supreme. And what Paul gives us here in this brilliant response really does take us to fresh and breathtaking vistas of Jesus who is our life. And in these opening eight verses, he takes us then on a wonderful trip down memory lane. This isn't just an introduction or a greeting. It is a trip down memory lane which shows us a wonderful reminder and celebration of grace, not only for them, but indeed for us as well. So three points this morning as we unpack this text together. Number one, a celebration of reality. Number two, a celebration of grace. And then number three, a celebration of the gospel. Let's start where Paul begins then with a celebration of reality. Verses one and two. Let's look at them again. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God... And Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. See, it's clear from chapter 2, verse 1, that Paul has, in fact, actually never met this church. He's never been to Colossae. He's never actually met them or seen them face to face before. And yet he nonetheless deeply cares for them. And as he's hearing this report from Epaphras about their lives, he begins to write to them. And he begins by helping them see the wonderful reality of who they are. And he uses here purposely exalted language to help them see who they are. It's a celebration. And so he begins by helping them see you are saints and faithful brothers in Christ. That's who he's addressing. Colossae, I want you to know your saints have faithful brothers in Christ. Saints. Saint meant that you were God's holy people. His treasured possession, who have been set apart for him. You know, up until this season, up until this reality, this term of saint had only ever been used to refer to Israel. They were God's chosen people. They were God's royal priesthood. They were his treasured possession. They were saints. But now as Paul writes to Colossae, he's telling them, you are saints. You are part of that family. You are part of this treasured possession. You are part of what it means to be saved by God's glorious grace. And you are also brothers. It's beautiful. Paul's telling them right here, you are, you are family. Paul wants them to know right up front that because of Jesus Christ, we have the same Father. The same Spirit lives in us, which cries, Abba, Father. Although I've never met you as a church, I know that we are family. And best of all, he says that they are saints and faithful brothers in Christ. You know, Paul uses that expression, in Christ, Many, many, many times in his letters. And it always equals salvation. He's reminding them that you are saved by grace in Christ. Kent Hughes says it this way. He says, best of all, they were in Christ 
which is one of the deepest and most joyous of mysteries. In various terms, it means that the Colossians, and indeed all authentic believers, partook of all that Christ had done, all that he was and is, and all that he would ever be. The expression to be in Christ meant that you were saved in Him. He had forgiven you. He had redeemed you. He had adopted you. You are now saints and brothers in Christ. You know, archaeologists, when they started to find many nameless slabs and catacombs in Rome and beyond, many of these slabs had the inscription in them, In Christo. Which simply means in Christ. The early church delighted in the reality that I am found in Christ. It's all that matters to my life. I am saved in Christ. And Paul, as he writes this letter to them, wants them to know, Colossians, that's you. You are brothers and sisters. You are saints. And you are in Christ. And then he seals it with this expression in verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father. That's not just a greeting. That's a declaration over their lives. As he reminds them and celebrates with them the reality that through Christ, in Christ, you now have peace from God, our Father. Through Christ, grace has been given you and you have been reconciled to the Father. You are indeed saved by glorious grace, which means you have peace with God. A reality that he's going to return to as a theme later on in the chapter 1. And because you have peace with God, you can also have internal peace today. Peace that Christ is with you. Peace that God will never leave you or forsake you. Peace that He is your refuge, whatever is taking place in your life. My friends, for the Colossians, this isn't just an introduction. This is a celebration of reality. A celebration that they are indeed saints and family in Christ. They have now been given grace and peace from God, their Father. And my friends, if we pay attention as we are also introduced to this letter, I want you to understand this is a reminder and celebration of grace in our lives as well. Because this is true of me and you as well. We are also saints. God's chosen and treasured possession. We are being built into a holy nation, a royal priesthood. We are also family Brothers and sisters, heirs with Christ, with God as our Father. And we have also been given peace with God and peace with man. And it's all possible because we are in Christ. My friends, do you recognize that this morning? Are you aware that that is your identity? That is your reality? You are in Christ. It's an astounding truth. And it will simply never change. Because he keeps you. Sam Storm says it this way wonderfully. He says, no matter where you are, what you are spiritually will never change. You may be at work, at play, overseas, under the weather, out of money. But you are always and unchangeably in Christ. You may be down in the dumps. 
over the hill or beside yourself, but you are always and unchangeably in Christ. You may be in paradise or in prison, at the movies or in Chicago, but you are always and unchangeably in Christ. Listen, your geographical, earthly, physical location has no effect on your spiritual identity. I love that. Wherever we may be, however we may be going about our day, whether we are at work or play, we are always found in Christ. We have been robed in the gracious love, mercy, perfection of Christ. Nothing will change that. This isn't just an introduction. This is a celebration of reality. But Paul isn't done yet. He's not done with the church at Colossae. He's not done with me and you. Because number two, he then goes on to give a celebration of grace. Which is verse 3 to the end of verse 5a. This is what he says. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints, and because of the hope laid up for you, in heaven. As Paul continues his introduction, as he continues this trip down memory lane for them, he gratefully makes reference to the familiar Christian triad of faith, hope, and love. You know, in so many occasions in the Bible, this Christian triad of faith, hope, and love, often repeated phrases, really just signify they are markers of the Christian life. They are simply expressions of true Christianity. And so Paul uses these three things almost as apostolic shorthand to really describe the Christian faith, the Christian outworking in people's lives. And he does it on many occasions. For example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. It says the same thing to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 18. It says it the same to the Galatians in chapter 5, verses 5 to 6. He says it to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. And he goes on then to tell exactly the same thing to these Colossians as well. Because Paul wants the church in Colossae to know that these three markers of the Christian faith, from everything he is hearing from Epaphras, they are without doubt clearly evident in their lives as well. And he wants them to know that that is a wonderful and glorious sign that Christ is at work in their lives. Because each one of these things is a miracle of grace, And each one of these things are an evidence of God working in their lives because without God's work, ongoing work in their lives, these things wouldn't be here. They are miracles of grace. And so we always thank God the Father for our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we celebrate these miracles of grace that are seen in their lives. It's wonderful. So first of all, he celebrates their faith in Christ Jesus. You can just imagine Paul writing this and then just pausing for a moment and going, my word, that's a miracle. 
It is a miracle that they put their faith in Jesus Christ. See, this is what Paul says in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, about the reality of who we are outside of Christ. He says, as for you, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The reality for Paul is prior to salvation, we're dead! we got nothing going on. There's no one's running out of a graveyard to, oh, pick me, pick me. I want to follow Jesus. There's nothing going on. We are dead in our transgressions and spiritually blind and dead and uninterested. That's why the Bible makes it clear. No one searches after God. Not even one. Because we are dead. And yet Paul is pointing their attention here that, listen, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And what he's doing is pointing them to the reality that is a miracle. You are pagans in a poor town in Turkey. And yet you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness. What an expression of his love for you. What an expression of his grace for you. What an expression of his mercy for you. Because that faith is a gift. Because prior to that coming, you were dead. You wouldn't have been interested. We are all dead in our transgressions and sins. And yet as Paul tells the Ephesian church, it was God being rich in mercy who made us alive together with Christ. It is a miracle of his grace that any of us have put our faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul wants to write to the Colossian church and say, Oh my goodness, you've responded to Jesus? That's amazing! It is a gift of his grace, an evidence that he is at work in your life. See, sometimes I think we can think that we're all like drowning in the sea. And we're just there at some point in our life putting our hand up saying, Hey, hey, save me, save me. And God in his grace comes over to you and responds to you and saves you. But the reality of scripture is we are indeed in a sea prior to salvation, but our heads are down. We are motionless. There is no sound coming. No whistle in our mouths. No putting our hand in the air. Nothing dead. And yet God in his grace comes over to us and he grabs us and he pulls us out the ground. At which point we look at him as he gives us the breath of life and we say, oh, oh, save me. And he says, I will. (laughs) But he made us alive. He pulled us forward. And Paul tells the Ephesian church that even faith is a gift of grace. Even the desire to say, save me, is a gift. Oh, this is a wonderful celebration of grace in their life. It is first and foremost a celebration of their faith in Christ Jesus, pointing them to the reality. That's a miracle. As is the reality that he celebrates their love for all the saints. Notice the word all there. They love 
all the saints. Not just the people they get along with. Not just the people that are just like them. All of them. And what Paul wants to help them see once again, you know what? That's a miracle. That is a miracle. That you could put Jews and Greeks together, slave and free, man and woman, different ages, and yet you have such love for each other. That is an expression of God's work in your life. One commentator says it this way when he talks about this love. He says, it is such a beautiful thing when you see the church's love for all the saints. Not just for some, and not just for the lovable, but for all. And this is what the early church so amazing and so this is what made the early church so amazing and so enticing to the ancient world. Barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, male and female, Jew and Greek, learned and ignorant, joined hands and sat down at one table. They knew themselves to be all one in Christ Jesus. They never had been anything like it. The world began to babble about sorcery and conspiracies and complicity in unnameable vices. But Christians were simply living out their love for all the saints. A new thing had come into the world. A community held together by love and not by geographical accident or common language or by the iron chains of the conqueror. The world wondered and not a few were drawn to Christ. This was love, and this was worth celebrating. (laughs) And so it was. This was love, and this was worth celebrating. Prior to putting faith in Jesus Christ, when it comes to our interactions with others around us, we are aliens and strangers to one another. But in Christ, we become fellow citizens, heirs with Christ, members of the household of God, Love is the glue that holds Christian community together. And you know what? It is an evidence of God's work. The fact that people so different can deeply and sincerely love each other. Paul, as he pens this, would have no doubt once again just paused and gone, you know what? That's a miracle. Thank you, Lord. It's an expression of your work in their lives. He's so grateful for their faith in Christ. It's a miracle. He's so grateful to God for their love for the saints. It's a miracle. And then finally, he celebrates their hope that they have in heaven. This was a small, insignificant town. It'd be like us, I don't know, don't want to offend a place, but maybe I'll just risk it. It'd be like us finding a very small group of people in Brooklyn. And then it makes one of the 66 books in the Bible. It is not a significant place. It's not a strategic place. But Paul is celebrating that God in his grace saved you right there and built a church with you right there. And you, who were once far off and uninterested in the Lord, now have a hope, a genuine hope, that heaven is your home. It is a miracle and it is to be celebrated. John Kitchen, in his wonderful commentary, says the everlasting objective hope of eternal life in God's presence in heaven is the fertile soil in which our faith grows. For such sure and certain faith is free then from striving, self-protection and worry. 
Such faith can look outward from that place of rest and peace of heart and can take up the cares and concerns of others, loving them selflessly just as Christ has loved the church. And what Paul is saying to the Colossian church is everything I've heard from you from Epaphras. I have heard about your faith in Christ. I have heard from your love for the saints. I have heard of your hope in heaven. The genuine hope that you have in heaven that is real for you. Of an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. And I'm aware this fuels your love for others. It fuels your passion for each individual. Because you know heaven is your home. This isn't your home. And he celebrates it all because he's aware that this is evidence that God is at work in their lives. It is a miracle of his grace. And my friends, I'd want you to know that as we gather as your pastors, we see exactly the same things in you. Which is why in God's grace, as we gather, we always thank God for you. Why? Well, because your faith in Jesus Christ is so evident. It's been one of the wonderful things to see during this COVID season. Just your faith in Christ is so real. Your faith that he is with us. Your faith in trial. Your faith in sorrow. And your love for all the saints. It's why we're so desperate and eager to get back together, right? It's because we love each other. We generally want to see everybody. I miss you terribly. Why? Well, because I love you. That's a miracle of grace. It's a miracle that we feel like that as a church. That we're not just thinking, oh sweet, you know, I can't wait to get out on Sundays. We can go to the beach, we can do something different. No, I'm thinking I want to be at church. Why? Because I love the saints. Why? Because God is at work in my life. He's at work in your life. Your love for one another is palpable. And also you have a great hope that heaven is your home. As you should. You have been made for a person and a place, and that person is Jesus, and that home is ultimately heaven, and it informs the way you live. My friends, those things are all miracles of God's grace. They are all evidences of God's grace. They are all the work of the Spirit in your life. Paul wants the Colossian church to know it. Paul wants us to know it. God wants us to know it, which is why this is still here for us today. This is not just an introduction. This is a celebration of grace. And then number three, finally, it is a celebration of the gospel. Look at the rest of verse five through to verse eight. He says, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, Our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. You know, as Paul then concludes his celebration, he does so by pointing them to the incredible and dynamic power of the gospel that has changed everything in their lives. The Apostle Paul in Romans 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of it, 
Because when it is proclaimed and when it goes off in people's lives, their lives are wonderfully transformed by the grace and mercy of God. I'm not ashamed of it. I want to tell everybody about it. It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And as he writes to the church in Colossae, he wants them to know that everyone quite clearly includes you. You are here. Because God in his grace has opened up your eyes to who he is through the power and splendor of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is something wonderful to celebrate. Because what Paul wants them to realize is the reason why you are here as saints and brothers and sisters in Christ. The reason why you have peace with God and peace with man, the reason why faith and love and hope is so evident in your life is because in the grace and mercy of God, someone shared the gospel with you. And at the right time, God opened your eyes to it and it changed your life. That someone for this small church in Colossae was Epaphras. Epaphras had shared the gospel with them and scales fell from people's eyes in God's grace. He wonderfully and mercifully saved them. For God had sent them Epaphras. Epaphras preached the gospel. Their lives were changed. Paul is pointing their gaze and attention here to the wonderful power of the gospel. For how beautiful then are the feet of those who bring good news. And my friends, 2,000 years on, aren't you glad that someone shared the gospel with you? Aren't you glad that someone got over the fear of man and was actually willing to clearly and passionately proclaim the gospel to you? Maybe they did that once. Maybe they did that a hundred times. But aren't you glad they did? Because it is through the gospel's proclamation that God then opens eyes. In God's grace, he sends people out to share the gospel. And the gospel still changes lives today. My friends, what we have here is far more than just an introduction or a greeting. What we have here is a trip down memory lane. A trip down memory lane that gives us a wonderful reminder and celebration of grace. Not only for them, but for us as well. A celebration of our reality. That we are in God's kindness. We are saints and brothers and sisters in Christ. That is our actual identity. A celebration of grace. The reality that we do indeed receive in our hearts and model through our lives a genuine faith and a genuine love and a genuine hope. All evidence that God is at work in our lives. Without his work, that ain't happening. And a wonderful celebration of the gospel. The reality that Christ has indeed changed our lives. We have responded to the gospel and that changed our lives. God in his mercy sent one to us. And at some point they have shared the gospel with 
us. And that has changed our lives. My friends, our salvation in its entirety is a wonderful celebration of grace, is it not? And so how then should we respond? What should we do with this now? Well, I believe the answer is simple. And it is important. And it is profound. How do we respond to this wonderful reminder and celebration of grace? My friends, we respond with overwhelming gratitude and thanksgiving to God. It's what is being modeled by Paul here in verse 3 where he says, We always thank God. We will discover that this is a theme all the way through the book. And the only way to respond to such a glorious reality of our glorious salvation that is all of grace is with overwhelming gratitude and thanksgiving to God as you realize it's all Him. It's all His work. It is all an incredible means of grace to my life. The only thing I bring to my salvation is my sin and my death. He brings everything else. Our lives are a celebration of His grace. We are all trophies of His grace. And the only response to that is overwhelming gratitude and thanksgiving to God. J.I. Packer says it this way. He says, To know that from eternity my Maker, foreseeing my sin, foreloved me and resolved to save me, though it would be at the cost of Calvary, To know that the divine Son was appointed from eternity to be my Savior. And that in love He became man for me and died for me. And now lives to intercede for me and will one day come in person to take me home. To know that the Lord who loved me and gave Himself up for me. And who came and preached peace to me through His messengers has by the Spirit raised me from spiritual death to life-giving union and communion with himself, and has promised to hold me fast and never let me go. Oh, this is knowledge that brings overwhelming gratitude and praise. And so it is. The only reasonable response to such a great story of grace that is the reality for our lives is overwhelming gratitude and thanksgiving to God. (coughs) It's the only response. My friends, I I know that we are experiencing many things in COVID-19. I know we're experiencing many things that we would rather not. And I know, my friends, that we are born into a world that can honestly say, as sure as sparks fly upwards, troubles fall. Things happen in our lives. Man is born to trouble, as Jesus himself said. And yet I also know a man who can totally relate to us in everything we're experiencing. And it's the author of this letter. Paul is writing it from prison. He is in isolation, not for six weeks, but for two years. And when you study Paul's life, he was well acquainted with trial. He was well acquainted with difficulty. It tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that he had experienced many imprisonments. He had experienced many beatings, sometimes even to death, near death. He has been shipwrecked. He has been stoned. In fact, he's been shipwrecked three times and then stoned and left for dead. And yet gratitude and thanksgiving is one of the main themes of the Apostle Paul's life. 
To live is Christ and to die is gain. I can't work out which one I'd rather. Oh, glory be to God. And it is one of his wonderful themes all the way through this letter. We see it in chapter 1, verse 4, chapter 1, verse 12, chapter 2, verse 7, chapter 3, verses 15 to 17, chapters 4 to 2. We will see an often repeated phrase that I think Brendan did so wonderful about drawing out in communion today. An often repeated phrase is all thanksgiving and praise to God. Look at what he's done. We may be experiencing times of sorrow to differing degrees, but I want to encourage you, whatever the sorrow may be, we always have 10,000 reasons to praise. Because we are sons and daughters of God. We are saints in Christ. We have peace with God and peace with men. The gospel has completely changed our lives, which means faith and love and hope are real entities in our lives. And it is all the Lord's doing. And so may it always be marvelous in our eyes. May we be grateful. May we be thanksgiving. Would praise always be our theme. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this wonderful letter to Colossians. We thank you for Paul and the way he writes and the way he so brings these things alive to our lives. Lord, would we imitate Paul as he imitates you? Lord, help us to be grateful. Help us to see this celebration of grace is our lives. It's us. And would our response be like Paul? I always thank God. May gratitude and praise be on our lips all the time. You're worthy, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.